0: Well, hello everybody, and welcome to Redeem Through His Blood. In this podcast, we discuss hope, healing, and redemption through the atonement of Jesus Christ. My name's Scott Durfee, and it's my pleasure to introduce my partner in this project, our teacher,
1: Brother David Durfee. Say hi, Dave. It's a good day a- to repent and be forgiven. Yeah, it is, and
0: fill his spirit by doing so. That's uh, definitely where we're uh, headed today, once again. Hey, gang! I just want to make sure that we extend our gratitude to each one of you for those of you who have been communicating to us through emails. We've we've received some great emails lately, Dave, from members and non-members, those who have been listening to our podcasts and questions and comments. Uh, we want to encourage both. We try to incorporate your questions in our discussion. Again, we will deal with some of those directly in future podcasts. We also want to thank you for telling your friends about this uh, and sharing the this experience with them as well. That's our hope that uh, we can take the good news of the Atonement, the power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through His Atonement to those who feel lack or feel less or feel less loved, uh, We just uh, are hoping and praying that this will extend and reach those who uh, need that help. You can uh, respond or send those emails to us here at he redeems us at gmail.com. He redeems us at gmail.com. Well, Dave, before uh, we jump into uh, this week's topic, last week we extended an invitation to do a personal inventory. We talked about honesty, the importance of being completely honest, In our lives, especially as it comes to our relationship with our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And, you know, that inventory invitation that we send out, I actually do that on a nightly basis as a step called Step 10 in recovery. Step 10 says, I'm going to try and quote it. We continue to take personal inventory, and when we're wrong, we promptly admit it. There's a process that I go through as part of my dailies uh, in recovery that keep me on the track of recovery and in a relationship with my heavenly Father. That list doesn't have to be long for me uh, for me. This is how I do it. And There's no pattern. There's no right way, no wrong way. You don't even have to do it. But here's how I do it. Each night, I like to think of two or three things that I've been exceptionally grateful for that day. And when I write those two or three things down, it puts me in an attitude of gratitude where I can feel my Heavenly Father's Spirit more fully, more completely. And then I pray to Him, where have I been wrong? Where could I have done better? And when I do that, I receive those answers. I get recollection of events during the day where maybe I was sharp with somebody at the uh, at the fast food place because they didn't get my food fast enough to me or maybe where I was pouting because something didn't go my way in my relationship with my wife or and a myriad of other things so power behind inventory the great great power behind inventory especially when it comes to confessing and forsaking our sins which brings us to our topic today Dave
1: and then maybe just to comment about uh, last week and lead us into today. I love the scripture in First John, uh, one of the epistles of John chapter one, verses seven through nine, where he says, "If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us." <laughs> I've, I've always loved that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. And just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and I would add, and to strengthen us, to cleanse us and to strengthen us from all unrighteousness. Now that that doesn't mean that we won't continue to, to sin. You know, the prophets sin; they repent every day. They President Nelson, I think uh, Scott has has also encouraged us. As members of the church, President Nelson has encouraged us to take a daily inventory, right. and to make it, to make daily repentance a part of our a part of our life. Prophet Joseph Smith said that we should never trifle with daily repentance; it shouldn't become uh, too rote, or or we shouldn't take that for granted, or it shouldn't become trite or unimportant to us. We should do that as part of our not just daily progression but eternal progression john talks about after recognizing and being honest with ourselves which we talked about last time that we need to confess our sins we read the scripture last week in doctrine and covenants 58 42 and 43 that talks about the lord will forgive us and remember our sins no more and then he says by this Or here's the manifestation or the evidence of your repentance. By this you may know if a man repenteth of his sins, behold, he will confess them and forsake them. Last time we introduced the three questions that we should answer today, which is, uh, why do we confess sins? Who should we confess our sins to? And what sins need to be confessed? So maybe let's, let's touch on the why for just a minute. I think the why is has to do with the assignment that you gave in regards to taking an inventory. And probably the first person we really need to confess to is to ourselves. We need to be honest with ourselves. If we cannot overcome self-deception, and if we can't become more honest with ourselves, we'll never be completely honest Confessing to to others or even to God, so taking that inventory and being honest with ourselves is a form of overcoming uh, self deception and sin itself. Any any thoughts on who who else should we confess to?
0: It's important that we confess next to our heavenly Father. You know, and there may be that may be kind of one and the same, except for our intent. You know, we need to place our intent also as we confess these sins or acknowledge our own wrongfulness or whatever however we want to term that but as we're making that acknowledgement what we are is we are drawing closer to him and as we're drawing closer to him i think that that's the beginning part that's not the completion of but that's the beginning part of our confession confession also to our heavenly father and i think that's the next important step in process in who that confession needs to
1: be towards yeah absolutely and, and I think it can be helpful to not over-generalize our sins to our Heavenly Father. I think it, it, it's helpful to hear ourselves. And I, I actually recommend that, if possible, that we learn to, to pray out loud. We're commanded to do that in Doctrine and Covenants section 19, right. is to, to pray vocally It's kind of interesting how Joseph Smith didn't receive the first vision until he prayed vocally, and he said this was the first time he had made the attempt. I'm sure he probably prayed about which church to join before he went to the Sega Grove, where he prayed vocally. There's a power about vocal prayer and uh, praying out loud, and I encourage uh, individuals when they are really serious about confessing their sins— that they, they go somewhere in a closet or uh, somewhere where they can be alone and where it can be private and that they, they pray out loud and in confessing their sins. Um, Satan knows that you've done it, so you're not telling him anything he doesn't know. Right. Heavenly Father knows you've done it, not telling him anything he doesn't know. But I think the the. It's helpful to do it out loud and to hear ourselves to say it to our Heavenly Father and confess it and acknowledge it before him. There's power in that.
0: I have a a really close friend, actually, who's a psychiatrist, psychologist, and he and I were having this discussion not that long ago about praying out loud and about the benefit of it there's a huge spiritual benefit to it obviously and you've touched on that benefit but there's also a physical benefit a cognitive benefit according to him uh, to praying out loud to hear us utter it to hear our own words to hear us say out loud the things that we must say in order to accomplish what we're talking about here david can be very helpful in driving home and sort of anchoring not just the facts, but anchoring our commitment to being different and to being uh, to allowing our Heavenly Father Spirit to change
1: us. I think it it uh, is also evidence of our, our humility in doing that. I, I think uh, as a general rule, probably uh, maybe maybe this is a self confession is. Uh, I think it, people like to pray silently and that most of our prayers, at least our personal prayers, are maybe uh, silent ones, quiet ones. I th- I think that it's just a really good habit to be able to pray out loud and, and where no one else can hear us, but where we can hear our voice yeah. and we can hear ourselves uh, cry out to our Heavenly Father there, there really is a power about that. I think it's also really helpful, Scott, that we that we not take prayer too casually. And what I mean by that is maybe two parts: that we make some preparation, that we that we actually prepare in our hearts, our emotions, and in our minds, uh, what we're going to say uh, to our heavenly Father. Right, I do too. I, I think I think it will really increase the effectiveness of our of our prayers. It will just take a moment. Doesn't have to be too long, but where we 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 pause before we kneel down and we just begin to speak, and to call on Him, which is which is wonderful. But it, it, when we're when we're really repenting, when we really want to express our gratitude and, and uh, ask for His help and His forgiveness. I have found it's really um, a blessing to just take time and meditate and, and make some preparation. And then the second thing that can increase our effectiveness is to show great reverence, to just really show our reverence and respect for Him. And there's nothing wrong with praying in the car while you're driving. There's nothing wrong with praying when you're laying down. There's nothing wrong with with any of those prayers. They're all wonderful. And, and he loves to hear from us anytime.
0: And in fact, those are important prayers.
1: Yes. Those are important. Absolutely. Prayers too. And we should pray always. We've been commanded to pray always, but there is a power to, to kneeling down. I think if we can, and to, to find a place where we're alone and where we can fold our arms and bow our heads and close our eyes and use sometimes I think it's even important when we can to to use the proper language of prayer and to to just to to really try to picture who we are talking to the God of this universe our heavenly father to really to feel that and to see that and anyway preparation and great reverence will certainly increase this experience as we repent and confess to him.
0: You know, when we uh, talk about that, that type of prayer, Dave, the word that comes to my mind sometimes is supplication. Mm, you know, and supplicate, if you, yeah, yeah. supplicate. If I'm supplicating myself to my Heavenly Father, I just looked it up. Uh, I'm going to read this definition, the first definition that came up. And, and this is the question that says, what does the Bible mean about supplication? And of course, we can use this, uh, you know, in all standard works. But what does it mean when we talk about supplication? And I think that this is a good definition. It says, although it is a noun, supplication comes from the Latin verb supplicare, or supplicare. I don't know how to say it exactly, which means to plead humbly. While supplication is often thought of as a religious prayer, as it is used 60 times in the Bible, it can logically be applied to any situation in which you must entreat the power of our Heavenly Father for Mm -hmm. your favor.
1: Well, I love that. That's inspired. Supplicate. Uh, I love the term in the scriptures, particularly I find it in the Book of Mormon. Cry out. Love Amulek's description of prayer in Alma 34. Cry out morning, noon, and night. Cry out in your closet. Cry out in your fields. Uh, anyway, cry out. There's there's this this energy and this humility and and, and maybe emotion about crying out to God, that uh, can improve our, our effectiveness as we confess. So w- have we said enough about why we confess? Why So we feel ourselves taking full 100% accountability, responsibility, and being completely honest. Uh, that, uh, I think, is a uh, predictor and a precursor, to full and complete repentance
0: when we talk about crying out and I'll just uh, we can move on with this but it did remind me of a couple of episodes that we had one was uh, episode number 16 where we did an interview with the brother Nate Moeller and then the next one was episode 19 where we did an interview with the brother Scott Harmon in both of those cases they talked about coming more fully unto our Heavenly Father through the atonement of Jesus Christ after having gone through some really rough stuff in their lives and in both of those cases uh, they talked about crying unto the Lord. Scott talked about crying crying out from solitary confinement on a cement floor, right? Yeah. Uh, he talked about that and, and how Heavenly Father reached down and picked him up and has since then kept him in his fold. And same with Brother Nate Muller. He talked about crying out as he was on his way to, in his mind and his life, at his own hand. And uh, that changed because he, according to him, because he cried out and you know those types of crying outs can save all of us and and i think that's what we're talking
1: about and it's interesting that enos uses the word wrestle when he describes his all day all night experience in prayer he uses the term wrestle you know prayer i love the definition of prayer in the bible dictionary where it says prayer is work yeah well, I, it takes great energy. Prayer is work. I, I've said as many casual prayers as probably anybody. I, I love to pray wherever, and sometimes they're just really sweet and casual. But when we confess our sins and we're, we're, we're intent on repenting, that can be a wrestle. That can be a crying out, a real supplication there needs to be preparation and reverence for that. And and I know that it's uh, worth the time and worth the blessings and the promises that we'll receive as we do so. Um, so let, let besides, we've, we've talked a little bit about why. Now let's, we've talked a little bit about who. We confess to our Heavenly Father. We confess to ourselves. We confess to our Heavenly Father. Now let's talk about, more about, the role of the church and confessing to maybe a a bishop or uh, someone who has priesthood keys. The instruction that I have received, I think the instruction that's given in the church, is that uh, we should confess to either our bishop, who is a common judge of Israel and has those keys, uh, or we can confess to our stake president. Sometimes we will confess to both in certain serious sins, but um, those are the two individuals uh, that we should confess our sins to. We shouldn't confess to counselors. We shouldn't confess to elders quorum presidents or at least society presidents or others. We should confess to those who have the direct responsibility to be a common judge in Israel. Uh, I think it's important that... Uh, we, we be really careful that we don't confess generally to the church or to members other members of the church but we confess to the proper priesthood priesthood authority um, and the role of the church is really important which maybe we can talk more about as we get into this uh, any any thoughts or questions about the uh, Confessing to the proper priesthood authority. Yeah, Scott.
0: yeah. I think that this is one, and so it's important for us too to know that not all things. And I, you've said that, but let's reiterate. You know, not all things need to be confessed to a priesthood authority. That's important for us to know. Oftentimes, in our fervor and our, in our desires to come fully and quickly to Him. We we sometimes think that, uh, you know, to beat ourselves up over the the, uh, over things, I was going to say the little things, because sometimes the little things can feel like big things in our lives. Right. But there are things, Dave, that should be confessed and things that uh, probably are not necessarily most appropriate to confess, uh, you know, for various reasons to those priesthood leaders as well. And I think that it'll be important for us to talk about that, too.
1: Well, I I always go back to the statement by President Marion G. Romney when he was in the first presidency of the church with with President Kimball, and the statement that he gives, which was kind of the direction given to us when I was the branch president of the Missionary Training Center. I, I have to paraphrase the quote because I don't have it here in front of me. But President Marion G. Romney basically said, that we confess to the church and to the proper priesthood authority when there have been any criminal activity, when any serious laws, I'm not talking about speeding tickets or any of that, but when criminal activity could end up in some sort of an action in court or result in other consequences, all of those should be confessed to the proper priesthood authority. When any sins would affect our worthiness to participate in the ordinances of the gospel, since the role of the priesthood keys and authority is to protect the sacred nature of ordinances and protect individuals from partaking of ordinances unworthily, any of those sins need to be confessed, or any sins that would put our membership in the church in question, should be confessed. So, you know, uh, I have lo- I've received lots of confessions Scott as a as a bishop and as a branch president at the Missionary Training Center. I've been in lots of disciplinary uh, actions or membership councils as we call them today. They're all they're all sweet, especially sweet missionaries coming into the MTC. Probably seven or eight out of ten feel like they've gotta confess something. And some of them are really serious and and they're 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 hard. But I remember one sweet missionary who came into my office on the first Sunday that he was there and I was to interview all the new missionaries on the first Sunday and he came in and I, I asked him about his worthiness. Are you worthy to be here, elder? How are you how are you feeling about your worthiness and and your relationship with god and and are you feeling the spirit and and uh, he s- started to cry and he looked down at the floor this was this was pretty pretty normal most of them did this when before they would confess they would they would look down at the floor before they could look up at me and and he w- was crying and i sat there and watched tears roll down his off the end of his nose with his face to the ground. (laughs) So sweet. I had this sacred little spot on my (laughs) orange carpet in the MTC many years ago, and I I swear I could see a salt ring in my carpet from tears of missionaries uh, confessing their sins, as they said in that, that Chair and kind of was, a sacred little place. Oh right man, there. that's where yeah. I would kneel to pray. Yeah. So every morning, every morning, yeah, Sunday morning, when I was there at five thirty in the morning to begin my day, I would, I would kneel near that little spot of salt on the yeah. carpet.
0: Yeah, that's tender. That's and
1: sweet. he he begins to cry and takes him a minute and he's he's not uh, offering anything. And after a few minutes, uh, I said, Elder, is it is it have to do with any, any moral issues? Do you have a girlfriend? And he looks up at me surprised. Oh, no, 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 President, I, I, don't, ha- I don't have a girlfriend. I never even dated in high school. I said, okay, okay, good. Can you, can you share with me what, what you're concerned about? And, and uh, he says, well, you know, it's, it's just come back into my mind since I've been here that when I was uh, 13 years old you know so what's that 6 years i think he was yeah. 19 yeah when i was 13 years old one day i stole a piece of gum out of my mother's purse and i didn't tell her about it <laughs> <laughs> oh man i was anyway i sweet you know but elder i said uh, i think you've been forgiven of that I think your mother's forgiven yeah. you. I think the Lord's forgiven you. I think you're you're good. Is there anything else? Uh, oh, no. He said, that's the only... I thought, wow. I was worried about him because he was so good and so pure, and he was kind of timid. And I actually said to him, I think, you know, now where are you going again, Elder? And he said, uh, California. California. And I said, uh, "You're going to see a lot of sin, Elder, in California. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I'm, I hope that you're uh, yeah. you're prepared for that and grateful that you're uh, that you're so worthy." I would have uh, experiences like that e- e- every once in a while. Missionaries uh, confessing their sins. I had one sweet kind of farmer boy. He was a tough kid, tough. Uh, you could tell he was built and came from a farm and spent his summers hauling hay. Yeah. Yeah. He was out in the Grantsville, Tooele area and uh, remember him. He was powerful and he came in and he started to cry and, and confess that uh, his neighbors had uh, gone on an extended vacation and he was to uh, take care of their animals and the chores and kind of their farm and, and oversee things uh, for them while they were gone on this extended vacation. And he said, And but one day he said, they gave me a key to their house, and I went into their house, and I got a drink of water, and I turned on their TV, and then he didn't say anything for a long time. (laughs) And I said, and? Well, that's all. I just feel like I kind of took advantage of the situation. (laughs) Okay, yeah, yeah i just feel like i i, I wasn't I, I didn't need to do that and wow i i remember thinking oh my goodness i was a little concerned about him being so good and so many of them are so right. yeah so pure but yeah. missionaries would confess many things and then you take the extreme of the missionary that i think i referred to a few weeks ago you know the missionary who came in and confessed and he just he just came well let's make this really short i've done everything right and felt no no remorse or, or no remorse or little remorse in his confession so after hearing uh, l- literally i think uh, f- thousands of confessions at the mtc uh, probably 8 out of 10 had something that they they felt like they needed to just resolve and make sure that they were clean and ready to go I've, I've learned that uh, we have kind of this guilt complex in some ways in the church, Scott. Bishops don't hear enough confessions from those who really need to confess, and they probably hear too many confessions from those who are just beating themselves up, who have a guilt complex, and who are shaming themselves. And I just think it's important that all of us understand what con- confessions need to be made and the, the uh, spirit in which those confessions should be made. We don't need to confess uh, certain things that are only affecting me or that I'm wrestling with that don't affect others or that would not affect my worthiness to participate in the ordinance of the church or threaten my church membership and where there's been no criminal activity. Those can be taken care of directly to our heavenly father through the savior's atonement and in our taking full accountability for those we can confess and and forsake them and move on so i i just um i i used to tell my students uh when it came when they would ask questions well do i need to confess this do i need to confess this and this and this and this and i would just say well when in doubt go check it out but I think that those who commit serious sins, they know they should confess, and they should confess. And those who don't commit serious sins, they sh- they should be understand and have the faith necessary to just take care of that with their Heavenly Father. Yeah,
0: the confession's still there, but it's just with our Heavenly Father. Absolutely. So, Dave, we talk about, uh, you know, the who and, you know, kind of for what so far. But uh, I think that, uh, you know, if we talk about these things, it's important for us to include why. Why is confession so important? How would you answer that question? If somebody were to say, Dave, why do we need to confess
1: at all? So so I touched on that when, when saying that to accept full accountability, full responsibility, in my complete honesty... I need to I need to hear myself to myself and to others to my heavenly father especially and to others take accountability and responsibility for my sins and and uh, as we go further into this let me just there's one more group of people we need to confess to if we have done anything in a, in a, if we're married um, if and we've done anything to offend our sweetheart in secret or otherwise that we should confess to her. uh, If we have done anything to hurt others, we should ask for their forgiveness and confess um, our offense to others that we have, that we have hurt or sinned against. I, I think that's also really important, Scott. And there's, there's that's, that goes into the why so that we can, maintain those sacred relationships of trust right
0: right well i think uh, you know as we start talking about these sort of things the, another potential part of the why is it's really there's a freedom that comes with it you know there's a burden in carrying these secrets you know i think last episode i talked about how my sweetheart deb always says that we're only as sick as our secrets well those secrets are heavy And they weigh on us. And they don't just, I mean, there's a physical weight that we sometimes feel from the, but but there's always an emotional weight. There's always a spiritual weight that comes with having these secrets. And anybody who's experienced this, I have, and, you know, perhaps most of us at some point have, and if we haven't, here's an invitation to engage in this process, because the freedom and it, that comes from that confession is unmatched by anything else i've experienced in this life i remember one time when when i needed to put forth a confession uh, and it was a big confession and that confession resulted in the lifting of my membership ultimately and it, you know and it was a com- not a confession of one thing. It was a confession of an attitude that involved many things, but that those many things, which I, at one point in my life was ready to go to my grave with Dave. I yeah. was, I was just really ready to just, you know, the, because of the fear and the pride and all those other things that we had talked about earlier, In earlier episodes, because of all of those things, there was such a weight on me that my personality had even changed. Unbeknownst to me, it was unrecognizable in large degree by myself, but it had changed. I had become more morose. I had become more edgy. I had become more ornery. I had become more conflicted with anything that was spiritual. I became more defensive. I had a big chip on my shoulder uh, most of the time. But when that confession took place on my part, and, and when I was able to put in process a true repentance process, and these things were things that needed to be confessed. There were legal issues involved. There were other issues that, uh, you know, had to do with morality and other things, too, that definitely needed to be confessed. These were not, I took bubble gum from my mom's purse scenarios. These were not, I took a $5 bill out of the till at the dry cleaners and went and bought a, a, a hamburger with it. You know, they, they weren't those types of things. They were heavy, heavy, heavy things. And through that confession, there was a huge weight. And we we hear that. You know, I feel like a weight was lifted off me. Well, that's literal. You know, for those of us who have been through that process, that expression is not just an expression. It's a literal experience where we feel unweighted and we feel more freedom. And we actually feel freedom now to start moving in the direction where we have felt damned to do so prior to that. We just felt like we were stopped and couldn't keep moving in that direction.
1: Yeah, and and uh, we can't sin in a bubble, Scott. Uh, all our when we sin, as you described, your sins affecting you personally and your your uh, emotions and your attitudes and your uh, you know whenever we sin, it affects others around us. Yeah, it does. And uh, it's so important that when we are negatively affecting others around us, who are close to us, that uh, that we maybe confess to them. Uh, so uh, children, uh, who, teenagers, uh, adolescents who go in and confess to a bishop will probably be encouraged to share it with their parents. Now, a bishop will keep it confidential. A bishop's role is to, to not to call parents in, not to, you know, he needs to protect the confidentiality of, uh, of those who confess to him. I'm not talking about child abuse or sexual abuse or those kinds of issues. I know that's uh, that's in the news a lot these days about the uh, the uh, exclusion of confidentiality in confessions to ecclesiastical leaders in the church and uh, and there's two sides to that and I recognize both of those those opinions. But an adolescent who is having a, uh, an issue, let's say, with morality, it would, it would be nice if that individual, uh, that youth, would be willing to share that with their parents so that the parents could help to strengthen them. So another reason why we confess is to, uh, to seek assistance, to seek a, a, little, more, a little more strength, uh, to get some help. That, that's another reason why we confess whether that's to our Heavenly Father or the bishop or to our parents or spouse or whoever that might be. Um, we, do, we can't sin in a bubble, meaning that we, we can't sin without it affecting others, and we should ask for the assistance and help of others to those who we trust who can, who can really help us. Uh, I think it's sometimes not good to confess to parents because some parents can't handle it, frankly. And bishops and individuals need to be wise about the counsel they give in in that regard, I've had some students who have told me about their confessing to parents and their parents beating them up, either physically or verbally, and uh, and and that's that that uh, just totally backfires, and uh, so so there has to be some wisdom, and and spirit in in uh, who we confess to. And it's important that as we talk about confession, Scott, before we go into the role of the church into more detail, it's important that we identify that in this scripture, in Doctrine and Covenants, section 58, verse 42 and 43, where it says, by this, ye may know if a man repenteth of his sins, behold, he will confess them and forsake them. It's interesting that these two are, are put together. These, uh, I don't want to call them steps, but these two uh, choices are part of the repentance process and that they go together, confessing and forsaking. Uh, The Lord is not pleased when we feel like we have to confess to everyone and their dog, so to speak. The Lord is not pleased when I know when teenagers are confessing serious sins to teenagers, to their friends, that does nothing but weaken both of them. We should not confess sins to individuals who can't handle it. Uh, You know, when you confess a sin uh, to a priesthood leader who has keys, and I've experienced this many times, it's like, water off a duck's back i would i would hear all these confessions at the mtc and i'd walk in at to our sacrament meeting at four o'clock on a sunday afternoon and i would look out at individuals and i would know hey i know they confessed some things to me but i i couldn't really remember them i i thought that was one of the great miracles of that process was that i couldn't even remember their sins it was so sweet to go in there and say "I i can't remember what they confessed uh but that that may not be true when we're talking about confessing to friends, for example, of our moral transgression over the weekend. That would only damage our friend, make their weakness even greater. Uh, so we have to be, we have to understand that when he says confess and forsake, Forsaking means that we don't go around and continue to f- confess over and over and over again. I think in this regard, Elder Anderson has a story about that when he was a mission president and a missionary uh, in France confessing to him, and it's a sin that he'd confess to his bishop, confessed to his stake president. He continues to confess to, uh, to President uh, Anderson, Elder Anderson, who's a mission president there. And Elder Anderson finally asked, "Will will you just put this behind you and move on? You know, we need to confess and then forsake, let it go. We need to let it go. I know I had that problem as a missionary, right? I confessed to my bishop. I confessed to my stake president. I stood in the line. It was a long line. This was I, I'm old and this was before we even had an MTC and there was still a missionary home in Salt Lake City and a in a converted old elementary school. And I still remember the presence of the of the mission home. His name was President Byrd. And I stood in a line that went from his office down the hall around the corner. Down another hall, and I got in the end of that line about 10 o'clock one night and stood in that line until about 1 a.m. in the morning so that I could just confess my sins just one more time. Then I go out on my mission. I feel like I got to confess in my mission president there, and I'm writing. Anyway, we need to know that when we confess, then we forsake. If our confession is honest, full, and complete, then we need to forsake it, Scott, and we, we need to let it go and put it behind us.
0: There's another component to this forsaking part, right? How often do we beat ourselves up because of our past sins? And we use those as, as, as ways to to flog ourselves even in front of others, you know, even jokingly, even making light of, you know, well, yeah, you know me, you know, that's how, you know, and, and on it goes, you know, forsaking our sins also means that we don't keep wearing those dirty clothes. We get rid of them. They're gone. We, yeah. And it's important for us to remember where we came from. It's important for us to remember that some of those sins, and, you know, we don't want them out in front of us. We don't want to be focusing on those. That's not forsaking. But forsaking also doesn't mean that we completely forget about them. We just don't keep relishing in them, regardless of what that relish may look like. It's important for us to keep look, be able to look back. You know, I always say in recovery that it's important for us to remember where we've come from. Otherwise, we have a serious danger of maybe going back to where we came from. It's important for us to remember that. But in order, in order for us to really forsake, we can't keep living even verbally in that type of life, Dave.
1: Not even mentally or emotionally. For example, when I was a missionary, this is what we would teach about repentance. It was in part of the discussions we had to memorize. We would, we would teach about the steps, we used to call them then, which I don't like to call them now, But uh, when it came to forsaking of sin, we would say, forsaking your sin means you never repeat it, not even in your mind. Right. Well, I loved that then. That was a blessing to me then as I was trying to repent of my sins as a full-time missionary, and it continues to be a blessing to me now. And uh, I know that It is a choice to keep confessing your sins mentally. Now, it's true, Scott. We will not forget our sins, and that's a gift and a blessing, so we won't repeat them. But we can't relish and go through the process in our mind of sinning over and over and over again and ever put them behind us, forsake them, and feel forgiven forsaking means that we, that we let them go and that when we think of them, it's it's oh no, not okay, let me let me relive it. Yeah we, when we forsake sins, it means we no, do not repeat them yeah. even in our minds and maybe especially in our hearts that we, we let them go. And uh, they're behind us. And we. my wife, I love her little uh, exercise that she has when she thinks of her past sins or she thinks of her, her, her little sins that she commits daily. She just speedily repents by bowing her head and saying, thank you. Thank you. And she's th- thinking of the atonement of Jesus Christ. I, I think that sometimes a little trigger like that when we think of our past sins cuz cuz satan does not want us to let go of those sins that's the one thing he doesn't want us to do is forsake them he wants to hold them over our head keep them in our minds and in our hearts and he does so and he's and he has the power to do so and he and he uses our own sins against us by by confessing them to us by not letting us let them go over and over and over again, says, remember when? Remember, w-. I, I think that he can put those thoughts into our mind. And when they come into our mind, we, ha- we have a choice to make, to either relive them or to forsake them uh, by thinking of the atonement of Jesus Christ and about the power of the atonement and exercising our faith in Christ and that through him that, that it's behind me, I've let it go. And uh, we bow our heads, and we say thank you, and we move on.
0: I think that is so wonderful that we have that opportunity. And there, there's where Heavenly Father takes, again, those weaknesses and makes them become strengths to us, like, like talk, talked about in Ether 1227 in the Book of Mormon, where we have those rememberings, right? But rather than beat ourselves up, we do, as Chris does, and say thank you. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for paying that price thank you for your merits being in place of my merits to bring me closer to you and, and those in that way can be a real blessing and that's where we see the atonement of jesus christ really work in our lives
1: yeah absolutely uh i love the quote that uh, elder anderson used in his book the divine gift of forgiveness in the chapter called confessing and forsaking sin i love this quote that uh, he uses by Elder Neil A. Maxwell, who says, confessing AIDS forsaking. Mm. It's important to see how these two, as the Lord uses them in Doctrine and Covenants 58, how, how these two go together. Uh, confessing AIDS forsaking, we cannot expect to sin publicly and extensively and then expect to be rescued privately or quickly. When we face those we have hurt, especially those we love, although it is a painful experience, it can be a great help in giving us the strength not to repeat the sins of the past. So confessing aids forsaking. And forsaking means that we don't continue to confess our sins, even to ourselves, that we don't continue to shame ourselves or to, re- to relive them in any way, in, uh, in relishing them or in the horror of them, that we just let them go and we quickly think of Christ and thank Christ for, for his uh, redemption. Uh, that's, that's how the process of repentance works. And it is something that is, uh, it does take work. It takes great effort. It takes great uh, mental exertion to be able to put our sins behind us. It takes complete honesty to be able to be uh, fully accountable and uh, to become blameless. So I, I think that we have probably said enough about confessing and forsaking, such an important part of the process of repentance, and I think it's really helpful. I invite our listeners to think about how these two—I uh, um, I don't know what to call them attributes. What do, I, what do we call them? Yeah. These, uh, these just two exercises or these the two these two choices, these two actions of our repentance, confessing and forsaking, how they are connected, how they go together, We need to confess what we need to confess to those who need to hear the confession. And we need to stop confessing over and over and over again sins that we should be forsaking. And we should not confess to anyone who the confession is going to weaken or hurt. I know it's true that in the young single adult population of the church, I had many tell me this, that they would... uh, that they would go on dates and uh, when they were dating and that individuals would ask them have you ever have you ever done this have you ever done that and and this was this was a part of a conversation they were having which was i believe totally used totally used by satan to manipulate individuals and to weaken individuals and to kind of see what individuals were willing to do or what they have done or what Oh man, I thought I, I used to tell students who would tell me that I would say, "Well, that's just evil. That's just evil to to ask people about their past. You don't ask people about their past. There is n- there is nothing good that can come out of that." Now, I have to pause because Elder Anderson, he and I had this conversation. I think when people are getting in a really serious relationship, Scott, when, when they are maybe becoming so serious that they might be engaged or they might be married, then that's a little bit different, yeah, it is. right? And that 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 an individual deserves to know, are there any sins of your past, are there any addictions in your life that are going to affect our relationship? That's a different deal. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying people who are are not in a serious binding relationship should not be confessing their sins to each other that is damaging and it's manipulative
0: yeah we could go on and on. This has uh, been a great podcast. I think that uh, I've got to take a lot of things for myself from this, Dave. Uh, I love what you read to us from the book about what uh, Elder Maxwell had said about how confessing begins the forsaking process it aids for it. us. It just strengthens st- aids it. it, strengthens it, even the beginning of it in some
1: ways. And I I, I, uh, I want to reinforce to Scott the idea that, that, that shaming is damning. Yeah. And that shaming is definitely not forsaking. A person who has forsaken their sins, as we are commanded to do, if we have, if we have confessed them, to to ourselves, to our heavenly Father, and to proper priesthood authority, and others who maybe we have hurt. Once we have done that, forgiven at this point or not, we need to forsake them. Yeah. And forsaking means that we. We let them go, and we don't continue to live them, repeat them, even in our minds. Uh, shaming is the process of individuals who, who just cannot let it go, who keep reliving it, keep beating themselves up over it. And, and again, I know that um, Satan plays a role in that, that, that shaming is, is not repenting. It has no role in the repentance process.
0: If we go back to episode number three, in episode number th- three, it's entitled The Glimpse of Who We Are. And, and if we have that glimpse, if we even have a brief or a, a, a small understanding of who we really are, the shame is nonexistent. Shaming is of the devil. There is no question that shame, let's just identify that real quickly. Shame means, and I've heard this said a lot, shame means that I'm a mess, that I'm a mistake, that I am a mistake. That's shame. That's not shame. I mean, we're not mistakes. We are children of our Heavenly Father who have a divine... Uh, royalty waiting for us at some point as we become joint heirs in our progression with our heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. Shame has nothing to do with that. Guilt, on the other hand, helps us to capitulate and to we we can use guilt down the road as sort of steering aids, helping us to stay on the track. Huge differences. Shame is has no part in the gospel of Jesus Christ.
1: Guilt guilt is positive and it's of God to recognize, to truly recognize our sins. Um, So, so guilt is a positive, but shame is of Satan. Guilt is of God. Shame is of Satan and shaming is, is damning. So when we talk about confessing and forsaking, they go together. And once we've done the confessing, which aids the forsaking. We put it behind us and we let it go. And then next week we can talk about some of the other parts and choices that we need to make some of the other work that we need to do in order to, um, feel forgiven of the Lord and to complete the repentance process, which is an ongoing process, a daily process. So thankful to talk about these things and, uh, Maybe just an invitation again, which is to uh, begin now to to confess yourselves to to confess your sins to yourself to to come to come uh, into the open, no more secrets, and to be able to confess to those who who need to hear the confession and to no one else, and then to put it behind us and to begin to forsake them. And
0: as we do, we uh, begin to live more fully the gospel of Jesus Christ, thereby allowing the spirit of our Heavenly Father to be with us, to always be constant in our lives, and thereby putting on the atonement of Jesus Christ and his power through that. Uh, Another great day, Dave. uh, Grateful to be here with you. Uh, Do you have any final thoughts before we... We didn't
1: get to the role of the church or to the membership councils, which I just wanted to touch on briefly, Scott, but but we can maybe do that uh, next week as well. Okay. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, everybody.
0: Yeah, it's good to be here. Hey, gang, uh, thanks for being with us. Remember that uh, we love you. We uh, hope you feel our Heavenly Father's love for you most importantly. And always remember that you have been redeemed through his blood. Thanks for being with us. We look forward to being with you again very soon. Take care.